Our next speaker is Jamie Spurgeon. Jamie joined Animal Charity Evaluators just this July, and since then he has been primarily working on this year's round of charity evaluations. Previously, he attended the University of Nottingham, where he obtained a master's degree in physics to speak about animal advocacy research. Please welcome Jamie Spurgeon. Hi. Um, so when I finished my degree uh, about a year ago, uh, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my, my career. And uh, I was kind of uh, interested in animal advocacy at the time, and I was just starting to learn about the effect of altruism movement. But uh, I didn't think that the, the skills and academic background that I had was at all relevant. And I didn't think that the uh, opportunity to pursue a career in this field was, was available to me. Um, and I, I was wrong. Uh, so uh, the motivation for this talk is sort of to cover uh, a variety of areas of animal advocacy research and look at a variety of different backgrounds to hopefully uh, uh, reveal some of the, uh, the pathways into animal advocacy research. Uh, so I'm going to talk through uh, intervention research in farmed animal advocacy, uh, cultured animal products, and uh, wild animal suffering research. Uh, and I'll go through uh, the pathways into how you can get involved in pursuing this as a career. Uh, so firstly, uh, interventions in farmed animal advocacy. Uh, when we talk about uh, uh, these interventions, we're talking about the sort of uh, the methods that organisations are using to uh, affect change for animals. So one of the big ones that we see is uh, investigation research, where people will infiltrate uh, factory farms and uh, record footage that is then uh, published online, and uh, it aims to affect uh, individual diet change by exposing people to the situations in uh, industrial agriculture. Uh, and it's also used as a, a tool uh, in corporate outreach um, where large institutions and food producers are targeted uh, to uh, get them to make welfare commitments um, uh, to make incremental changes to the welfare of, of large numbers of animals. And we're talking sort of in the region of hundreds of millions of animals here. Uh, and then on slightly the smaller scale, uh, institutional outreach uh, where universities and hospitals and other institutions are targeted uh, to encourage them to firstly source higher welfare uh, animal products uh, and then um, introduce things like meatless Mondays to encourage uh, uh, meat reduction in the, the people that they're serving. Uh, and then finally, individual outreach, which is uh, an umbrella for a variety of different interventions. So things like leafleting, online ads, pay-per-view videos, uh, books and documentaries, uh, and more novel approaches, as you can see in this photo. Uh, this is a, a virtual reality uh, headset exhibition that was put on for members of the European Parliament by Animal Equality uh, earlier this year. Uh, and we think things like this could be very effective, but uh, we just don't know. And this is where the sort of the research comes into things. So the sort of uh, when we're thinking about research. Um, it, it, we want to understand the effects of individual interventions, uh, either compared to a control group or compared to other interventions. Uh, and also, research can also look in on a specific intervention and work out the most optimal way of delivering that particular intervention. 
Uh, another important consideration is the uh, the audience. So are we targeting an intervention to a particular audience that we might already have, an organization may already have, or are we uh, trying to find uh, new audiences that particular event interventions might be effective at dealing with? Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit now about a study that Mercy for Animals did, just to give you an idea of what this sort of research involves. Um, so they uh, looked into their online ad program, uh, and they had they ran an online ad that, uh, when clicked on, it either led to uh, a an experiment uh, group uh, where they had a one of their own videos encouraging individual diet change. Uh, and then half of the uh, people received a control video on an unrelated topic of tropical diseases. Um, and they tracked with cookies uh, who landed on, on which page. And then two to four months later, they followed this up uh, with a survey. And that survey was powered to detect a 10% difference in consumption between the two groups. Um, and when we look at the results of this, uh, they found no statistically significant uh, change. Uh, and part of the issue here is this this study was detected to it was powered to detect a ten percent change and the sort of change that we may expect a single online ad to induce in diet is probably going to be a lot smaller than that and it's certainly a ten percent is way above the threshold at which MFA would continue uh, running this program because the the cost of um, getting an individual to click on an online ad is very small. So even a, even a very small diet change applied to millions of people perhaps um, can still affect a large amount of change. And uh, they didn't have uh, an academic uh, researcher work with them on developing this study. And we feel like if that had been the case, then some of these issues may have been avoided. And that's a common theme in a lot of animal advocacy research. Uh, so... In terms of um, the pathway for this particular uh, field, you're looking at ideally a social sciences background, uh, particularly uh, psychology and sociology, but also uh, the maths and statistics and, and physics and, as well. And that sort of more analytical background can be useful in uh, the sort of meta research that uh, we do at ACE and also that the Open Philanthropy Project do. Uh, and then from there, uh, you can uh, specialize with a further with a social sciences PhD. You want to be focusing on something that uh, has a lot of study design and particularly quantitative study design. Uh, and then we think the best thing to do from there is to pursue a career in, with an animal advocacy organization who are interested in uh, conducting these studies. So uh, Mercy for Animals, as I mentioned, uh, the Humane League with their uh, Humane League Labs research division, uh, animal equality, um, and they're, recent, they're looking into the effectiveness of their VR uh, headset program in conjunction with Faunalytics. Uh, and also at ACE, we've recently launched uh, our own research division and we'll be conducting independent research ourselves. Uh, so uh, to that end, we have also at ACE, we run an animal advocacy research fund. Um, so this is particularly focused on funding intervention research and we fund uh, both academics and organizations. And we have three rounds each year for proposals. Um, and yeah, I've just listed a few factors there for a successful proposal. Uh, and this is something that uh, is something that's good to be aware of, whatever stage through your career in in, in this thing. Um, 
Okay, uh, I'm going to move on now and talk about cultured animal products. So cultured animal products are essentially animal products that are grown uh, without the animals. And the idea is to reach a point where these are uh, cost competitive enough to replace animal products and thus affect change for animals by reducing the demand for meat or traditional meat products. So we can divide uh, animal products up into two uh, categories. Uh, firstly, acellular products. So products that uh, are not composed of animal cells and they tend to be simpler. So we're looking at uh, milk and, and eggs. And this side of the movement is uh, fairly well uh, developed. So we have, there's two major startups in this area. Um, Clara Foods, who you can see here have made uh, egg whites and in, you can see the meringue there. Uh, they're working on producing the whole egg and they've sort of started with the egg whites. It's, it's, it's the simplest thing to, to make. Uh, and then also there's Perfect Day who are working on um, growing milk. Uh, and we expect both of these to have products in the next few years. Uh, and then on the other side of things, the cellular uh, animal products, so meat. Um, there is a lot more research that needs to be done here before this will reach a point where it's cost competitive. Um, we expect, uh, again, you can divide this up into processed meats and, and whole meats. So processed meats like uh, burgers, sausages, and uh, like ground meat. Uh, will come first because it, the structures needed for them are a lot simpler. Um, and then eventually we, we expect whole grown pieces of meat to be uh, possible to achieve. Um, and here you can see a turkey nugget that has been grown uh, on uh, using a jackfruit um, a scaffolding structure. So it's caught, it's kind of crossover between plant-based and uh, animal-based uh, grown meat. So in terms of the research, uh, as I've said, the aim is to get this to a point where it's cost competitive. And as a result of that, this, this field is entirely dependent on having good researchers um, to break down the obstacles that are in the way of doing this. Um, and as a result, there's a, there's a high potential here for, for individual impact. I think uh, Lewis Bollard recently said in uh, an interview that uh, a, uh, someone working in this field could be the equivalent of making a, a contribution of a million dollars per year. Um, and we're also seeing good funding from, from for-profit for interests. So uh, it represents a field where there's, there's a lot of investment here and a lot of career opportunities as a result of that. Uh, so in terms of the pathway, there's three main academic backgrounds that we're looking at. Uh, biology, and in particular bioengineering, uh, anything that's involving uh, tissue culture growth uh, is particularly relevant. Uh, and, uh, and then chemical engineering, um, in terms of scaling things up from growing in the lab to in industrialization, um, things like looking at bioreactors and that sort of thing. Uh, and then finally, food science, because at the end of the day, you need to have a product that tastes good. Um, so uh, taste and texture is very much within the realm of food science. Uh, and if you're looking to, to specialize and, and go into uh, a PhD in this area, 
there are opportunities available. Um, so New Harvest run uh, an organization that run uh, a, their fellowship program where they fund and provide support. And I'm going to talk about a little bit about that in a minute. Um, they were also responsible for incubating those two acellular um, startups that I mentioned before. And uh, in terms of a career and uh, getting in contact with the Good Food Institute who provide support, and uh, they're an organization that have a central aim of bringing this into reality. And there are uh, a large number of areas that they're involved in. And we'll talk about them in a second as well. So New Harvest's fellowship program, they provide uh, grants to PhD students, typically in the range of uh, $100,000 to $250,000. Uh, and they provide uh, project support through um, that period, um, weekly meetings uh, and, and such. And importantly, they're available in the UK. So uh, this is Scott Allen, who has recently, uh, he's one of their new round of fellows, and he started work at the University of Bath. Uh, in cultured meat bioprocess design. So he's looking at scaling up bioreactors uh, into an ind industrial level and making that transition out of the lab. Uh, and then the Good Food Institute. Uh, so they, they operate in a variety of areas, but um, what's particularly relevant here is they connect students, scientists, uh, and entrepreneurs together. Um, and out of that, they form startups, uh, and they help those startups uh, in terms of development in a variety of, of areas. And certainly, if you're looking to go into this this field, then it's uh, they're they're the guys that you want to be in contact with, and certainly be on their radar. Uh, yeah, and finally, I'm going to talk through wild animal suffering. So, wild animal suffering is uh, a very exciting area because this the potential for impact is, is massive uh, but it is something that is very much in its infancy and uh, there's a huge need for more research to sort of understand what we're dealing with here um, so it's the suffering of, of wild animals due to to natural causes and when we think about the numbers um, if we look at the industrial agriculture movement there's about 24 billion livestock animals estimated at the moment but if we consider the average animal, which based on population will be, would be an insect, for example, there are a billion, billion insects. Um, so the scale is, is far beyond where a lot of the movement is focused at the moment. Uh, but there are a lot of unanswered questions about whether it's something that should be pursued. Um, so we, first of all, the, argument for sentience is, is not settled yet um, and there needs to be more research to firstly establish whether insects for example do have sentience and uh, if that is the case then are they living lives that are um, net negative so are they suffering more than they uh, are having pleasure in their lives uh, and if that is the case then we need to think about how or whether we can uh, develop interventions that would uh, reduce that suffering um, and the question of what our role is in that because uh, when we're trying to intervene in, in natural systems the, the, the systems at play are very very complex so whilst we it's difficult to develop interventions because if uh, we might have good intentions in what we're trying to do but the unforeseen consequence the risk of having unforeseen com com 
sequence is is very high. Um, so yeah, um, so this at the moment is very much in the realm of of philosophy uh, and ecology uh, would probably be the two primary uh, academic backgrounds that you're looking at and. This the pathway here to a career is is much less defined. There's not uh, a lot of support from external groups, like I've mentioned in in the previous previous examples. Um, but pursuing uh, a career in here, eventually you're going to be looking at either pursuing academia or uh, getting in with a, a wild animal suffering uh, focused organisation. At the moment, there aren't many in existence, but I am going to talk about uh, wild animal suffering research, um, who are a group that are. Uh, funded by the uh, Effective Altruist Animal Welfare Fund. Uh, and they produce research on ecology, welfare biology, and philosophy and economics all surrounding um, uh, wild animal suffering. Uh, and this is an image from a, study, uh, a research they released into the, the state of uh, invertebrates and where we think that potential interventions could be, could be used. Uh, and that concludes my talk. So thank you very much. All right. So submit your questions at london.eaglobal.org slash polls or through the app. We have a couple that have come in uh, already. And you're going to be doing office hours, right? So people can yeah, I will be doing office track hours, you yeah. down for, yeah. for more one-on-one -on -one there. Um, so the first question that came in is, how does cultured animal product research compare to plant-based alternative research in terms of timeline, tractability, expected impact, etc.? So at the moment with plant-based research, we're, well, plant-based animal products, we're already seeing plant-based products, not animal products, sorry. Uh, we're seeing a lot of them on the market already. Um, and... There are several estimates as to when we'll start to see uh, cost-competitive um, cultured animal products. Uh, I think Mark Post, who uh, is involved with the Good Food Institute, puts an estimate at 10 years before we will start to see that. Uh, at ACE, we've uh, had a look and, and uh, made our own estimates, and we think that uh, we're sort of 90% confident that in 10 to 70 years, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll uh, at least half of those products um, will uh, exist uh, in a cost-competitive way. And obviously, that just reflects the, the, the level of uncertainty here at the moment. But it, it seems inevitable. It's just there's, there's a lot of the time is somewhat uncertain. Speaking of uncertainty, <laughs> what sorts of interventions in the domain of wild animal suffering do you think might have a chance of being helpful? Um, it's tough because I, um, uh, so I've seen some uh, interventions suggested, such as uh, euthanizing elderly elephants, for example, because uh, they tend to reach an age where they can no longer feed themselves and they starve to death. Um, but, and the, so the, the idea with that is it, it's a, an intervention that's been suggested that likely won't really impact uh, 
surrounding populations and we're fairly certain that that sort of intervention won't have a significant impact and cause other problems and unforeseen issues. Um, but the problem with that is that it's uh, essentially going to be affecting a, a very small group of animals. Um, and when we're looking at the most populous groups, such as insects, they're so uh, interwoven into the uh, food chain uh, that uh, it's very difficult and they're just it, we don't have an idea of what those interventions may look like at the moment which is why we need the research to, to be done and built up over several years i think before we're going to see interventions that uh, affect a large number of animals and that's why we encourage generally um farm animal advocacy uh, because it's just far more tractable at the moment uh, and we think that it's going to be a lot better to a lot easier to affect a larger number of a larger amount of change there first sort of a related question and a philosophical question you had mentioned that a key question is are certain wild animals living net negative lives mm -hmm. and so one person asks is that really the right standard uh you know considering for example that we may think that many people who are in tough circumstances in in poverty uh, have net positive lives, mm -hmm. lives worth living, but we still feel very motivated to help them. So is there another standard that you'd consider aside from net positive versus net negative? Yeah, so I, I will admit that this is an area that I'm not particularly knowledgeable on, but I think that that, that is the, of the limited amount of research that's available at the moment, that is sort of the leading perspective to look on it, but it's certainly not the only perspective um, and uh, yeah I'm not sure I have too much more to add on that but there is certainly room for a variety of other approaches and I don't think that um, just looking at the the net balance of a, an individual's life is, is the only way to think about things. So questions continue to come in for the, we won't be able to get to them all but for those that, that don't get their question asked Come see Jamie in yeah, absolutely. office hours. Uh, we do have time for a couple more at least. How specific does the academic background uh, need to be for somebody to get into these various career paths? The questioner specifically asked about cultured meat, but I think it's probably a relevant question for all the different career paths. Is this something where you know, a master's in physics you know, kind of opens doors, or do you really need to be pretty niche yeah. already? I think uh, a lot of uh, going, to, going to work for animal advocacy organizations they're not going to be necessarily expecting you to have particularly relevant uh, knowledge i would say from your degree but it's uh things like it's it's uh, skills so f from my background for example um having the analytical skills that my physics degree has given me is relevant to the work i'm doing but all of the the knowledge that i've picked up was mostly through working at that organization um, and in terms of in terms of cultured meat I feel like it's it's more dependent on your the knowledge that you may have in your degree um, you're not going to be able to do the the kind of research that's going to result in cultured meat without having the the fundamental background in in biology chemical engineering uh, and food science as I mentioned 
this might be a hard one, but somebody wants to kind of bottom line everything. If you had a million dollars to spend <laughs> based on your research, what's your number one place to spend it today? Uh, my personal feel is that, well, uh, in terms of my personal giving, um, the Good Food Institute uh, is where uh, the majority of that goes. Uh, I'm particularly optimistic about um, the progress that can be made with cultured meat. And yeah, I would say that that's, well, personally, that's where where I feel it's best. For those that want more from you beyond office hours coming momentarily, where can they find you and follow you online? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you can follow uh, Animal Charity Evaluators. Uh, we've got Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and note down my email address if you want to get in contact at all. Then uh, I'd be really happy to hear from anyone. And if I can help at all, that would be great. Awesome. How about a round of applause for Jamie Spurgeon? Thank you Thank very you. much.